Welcome to Access Asia, I'm Yuga Hwaye, and we're bringing you the latest stories on the continent from a brand new studio. Coming up. India is furious over Canada's allegation that its government agents may have been involved in the killing of a Sikh separatist leader on Canadian soil. We'll have a closer look at what's behind the deepening diplomatic spat. Wushu, Sepak Takro and League of Legends, the 19th edition of the Asian Games, is being held in the Chinese city of Hanju, with 481 gold medals up for grabs, including, for the first time, in eSports. But attention is also on foreign leaders invited to mark the occasion. So how important is the event, both on and off the tracks? It was a dramatic statement. Canada's Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, stood up in Parliament and said that India may have been behind the murder of a Canadian citizen on Canadian soil. Without presenting concrete evidence, Trudeau told lawmakers that there were credible allegations of potential involvement of Indian government agents in the killing of Hardeep Singh Nija, a Sikh separatist leader. The comment drew a furious response from New Delhi, who called the allegations absurd. A diplomatic row ensued, with both sides expelling the other's senior diplomat and India suspending visa issuance to Canadians. Now, to understand more about what's behind all this, let's speak now to Chirish Bajpayee, Research Fellow for South Asia at the Chatham House Think Tank in London. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Now, first of all, tell us more about the victim. What was he doing in Canada? And could you tell us about the Khalisa movement? So this individual, uh, Hardeep Singh Najjar, so the India claims that he's linked to uh, terrorism-related activities uh, in India, and he's been linked to several Khalistani separatist groups. Uh, he was declared uh, a terrorist by Indian authorities back in 2020, and then, uh, and that is why the, 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 they've claimed that Canada is, is a so-called safe haven for terrorism, extremism, and organized crime. And then, of course, the Canadians are claiming that uh, agents of the Indian government are involved in the killing of this individual, a Canadian national on Canadian soil. Uh, and all of this li is linked to the broader Khalistani separatist movement, uh, which uh, is in the Indian state of Punjab. And this peaked back in the 1980s and early 1990s. And we've seen a revival of sorts uh, in recent years. So it goes all the way back to the 80s. But how much will the ongoing row hurt the two countries' relations. I mean, they've been negotiating a trade deal for several years now, haven't they? Yeah, clearly, I mean, the relationship is on a downward uh, spiral. The, the Canadians have doubled down on claims of uh, Indian complicity in the, in the killing of this uh, Sikh national. Uh, and uh, Trudeau has, you know, reiterated the claims, although, uh, you know, as we've heard, that we, we've failed to see any conclusive evidence. Uh, you know, Trudeau's statement refers to credible allegations, but not evidence. He refers to potential, but not confirmed uh, Indian links. And it's important to note that uh, no one has yet been charged uh, with the murder uh, three months after uh, it's happened. And I think both sides are also claiming that they have the upper hand. Um, so they claim that the other side is diplomatically isolated, and both sides also claim to have the moral high ground. Uh, so with Canada accusing agents of the Indian government to be involved in this killing, and India accusing Canada of being a safe haven for terrorism, extremism, extremism and organized crime. So it is a very serious allegation, and as you say, without concrete evidence thus far. Uh, and response from Ottawa's allies have been somewhat muted. Uh, why do you think this is? 
Well, I think you know it puts several countries, uh, most notably Western countries, in a very difficult position because, on the one hand, you know Canada is a key strategic partner, uh, and at the same time, India is seen as an emerging power that a lot of countries want to pursue a deepening relationship with. I mean, it's it's the cornerstone of the Indo-Pacific you know, pivot or tilt or strategy that's being pursued by several countries. It's a country of growing strategic importance. It's just passed the United Kingdom in terms of GDP. Uh, it's passed China in terms of population. And it's seen as a bulwark against the rise of China. And I think this explains the relatively muted or restrained response uh, to the allocations so far. And could this have uh, a wider and long-lasting ramifications to the rest of the world, especially uh, if the allegations, uh, allegation turns out to be true? Yeah, I mean, if it if the allegations are proven to be true, I think it would point to signs of a more you know assertive and and muscular Indian foreign policy. Uh, I mean, the Indian intelligence services have been uh, active uh, in neighboring countries in South Asia for decades, but to to be complicit in an assassination in a Western country and a country which is a member of the G7, a member of NATO, I mean, that would I think be clearly a game changer. Uh, and from India's point of view, I mean, it, it it seeks the status of a major global power. We've seen recently with the G20 summit, it wants to be a voice of the global south. And the last thing it wants to be uh, in a position is to be associated with countries like uh, Saudi Arabia following the the killing of this uh, Saudi journalist, Jamal Khashoggi, or, or Russia following the, the, the Salisbury poisonings that took place in the UK. Well, Tidish Bajpayee, thank you so much for your insight. And thank you for joining us once again. Thank you for having me. China is hosting the Asian Games, a major multi-sport event held every four years between the Olympics. The 19th edition, postponed from last year, brings together some 12,000 athletes from across the continent competing in 40 sports over two weeks in Hanju. For the first time, eSports are featured as an official medal sport event with seven goals on offer. James Vasina takes a look. It's the very first time Juliet Heng Jimin is preparing for the Asian Games. But after winning gold in the Southeast Asian Games in May, she's been called up by Singapore's national fencing team to represent her country in the Sabre event. I want to make it as far as possible, so hopefully top eight or even a medal would be good. But I'm really just there to experience the whole competition and see amazing fences. After being pushed back by a year due to the COVID pandemic, the latest Asian Games in the Chinese city of Hangzhou are showcasing over 12,000 athletes from across 45 countries. And as always, the events include some traditional sports such as wushu, a form of Chinese martial arts. It's been gaining in popularity across the continent as far as Iran, and the country is now the main rival for Chinese competitors. I believe one of the factors behind Iran's wushu success is that a lot of investment has been put into the discipline for children and teenagers, and now we're seeing the results. Equally impressive is Sepak Takro, in which players combine volleyball and football, and which has been part of the Games since 1990. For a kid like me at the time, who had practiced Sepak Takro all his life, to be so successful in the biggest competition, the Asian Games, it's an indescribable feeling. And while Olympic champions of the likes of India's Niraj Chopra or Qatar's Mutaz Essebashim will attempt to dazzle crowds, 
there's a radically different category bound to make this edition stand out from the others. For the first time, the competition allows eSport gamers to fight for titles behind their screens. In games ranging from FIFA to League of Legends or Street Fighter. But their battle for recognition doesn't end there. But dream will eventually be realized once it gets included into Olympic as a full-fledged medal spot. But uh, nonetheless, uh, I think this eventually will become the benchmark for you know a lot of other countries. Uh, you know the recognition of esports as a sport. The discipline's evolution is also helping to fight off some of the stigmas around video games. My parents didn't support gaming because uh, it has less to no scope in India at least. So sometimes I had to like hide from them and play the tournaments because it had I had a commitment to do so. And that recognition will come as they pick up some of the 481 gold medals up for grabs in all before the games wrap up on the 8th of October. Now, as well as what takes place on the tracks and in arenas, there's a lot of attention on what's happening outside of sports, starting with the game's guest list. To talk more about the geopolitical aspects of the big event, France 24's Oliver Farry joins us here in the studio. Hi, Oliver. Hello. So, standing side by side uh, with other foreign leaders at the opening ceremony is Sirius Bashar al-Assad. Uh, he's kind of come out of the cold, didn't he? Yeah, Bashar al-Assad for the past 10 years has very restricted his movements more more or less he has made at most one trip a year abroad that's usually to one of his allies be it uh, iran or russia but this year he's had five trips already so he's certainly being a little bit more adventurous on friday he met with uh, chinese president xi jinping she announced that there was a strategic partnership between Syria and China. Now, how important this partnership will be is another thing. Uh, this is only the second visit by a Syrian leader to China. The last one also by Assad was 19 years ago, so there isn't a very close relationship to begin with. What Assad is probably looking for, however, is Chinese investment to help Syria rebuild after a decade of war. Uh, but will China be actually that, that forthcoming? China actually has, it's got a, a slowing economy, it's got a property sector that is ailing at the moment, and it's also had some disappointing returns on foreign investments in its Belt and Road initiative. So it may not be actually that willing to stump up and help. China may be limited in how generous it could be. Now, uh, going back to the sporting event itself, Asian Games are bigger than the Olympics in terms of participants. How important is this? Well, it's quite a big thing, particularly for the for the, the competitors. Um, it opens a pathway for them to qualify for the winter or the summer Olympics, rather, which are taking place, of course, next year in Paris. There's um, 14,000 athletes taking part from 45 countries in 40 different sports. But geopolitics actually is uh, encroaching upon them as well. India's Olympic Committee said that three of its competitors from uh, were denied a visa by the Chinese authorities because they come from the Himalayan state of Arunachal Pradesh, which is claimed by Beijing. Beijing, for its matter, says that it was actually the athletes who refused to accept those visas. There was also initially a, an, an invitation to compete extended to Russian and Belarusian athletes. They are banned from competition in Europe. The intention was to Get, give them qualification points for uh, to qualify for the Olympics, but that was actually quietly shelved a few weeks ago. And how important is hosting the Games for China? Well, it's their first time after uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. They now have 
the Winter Olympics, of course, were blighted by the pandemic. They took place in front of very, very small crowds. So uh, China is now opening to the world again. It's trying to put on a good face. China is a tough country to visit a lot of the time. There's a lot of bureaucracy, and it's a very cashless economy nowadays. So. Uh, I know an awful lot of these payment apps are tied to Chinese bank accounts. China is trying to make it easier to pay with foreign credit cards to remove some obstacles. And they also know that however unpopular a government might be, actually meeting the people in the country can actually be the best form of soft power. So China is hoping that the games might actually benefit it uh, in some way there. Oliver Parry, thank you for your analysis. And that's all for this edition of Access Asia. Do stay tuned to France 24 if you can. There's more world news coming up.